Hello, folks. Welcome to Catch Up, the podcast about contemporary hip hop that discusses where hip hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suwami. And I'm Kyle Fulton. That's right. <laughs> that is not the sweet, sweet voice of young Jimmy Rathbone. Unfortunately. Who is in Montreal for a music conference. M is for Montreal. M for Montreal? M for Montreal, that's right. Yeah. Close <laughs> Very Sesame Close Street inspired. So in, in his in his stead, we have uh, our producer, Kyle Fulton, who you may not have heard on the podcast, but he is the lifeblood of it. <laughs> uh, we literally would not be able to do this without him, and he's uh, our guiding our guiding light behind the scenes, and now he's uh, in front of the scene. So, Ooh. Thanks, man. Uh, this week's episode, we're talking about one of my favorite new rappers of this decade i would say it's the rapper little peep from long island new york who is well known and celebrated for his ability to synthesize uh, 2000s emo with contemporary trap and rap aesthetics um and he released his a new album his first posthumous album which is called come over when you're sober part two part one was released last year this is his first album released on a major label it's through columbia records And it's a very interesting project. And this week, we're going to talk a bit about Little Peep's life and career. And we're going to talk about the album as well. So let's get into it, Kyle. Let's do it. So to kick things off, I think it would be helpful to go through Lil Peep's bio a bit. So um, let, let's talk about how he, uh, you know, let's talk about his early life and how he got started in the rap game. So yes, he was originally born in Pennsylvania, but moved to Long Island when he was five. And pretty early on in his life, he, as, as is a huge theme in his music, he suffered from depression and anxiety. Mm. Yeah, his parents, I think, were uh, both very well-educated, uh, both Harvard grads. His dad was a professor at Hofstra University. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he talks a lot about kind of the academic expectations that were put on him at a young age um, and how he never really fit in because he just hated school so much yeah he and he seemed to be like in high school he was a loner made a lot of made most of his friends online um he started kind of dabbling in in music at that time and he just moved to la on his own and couch surfed for like couch surfed for a while c- connecting with the artists that he'd met online um he was early on he was a part of a, a rap group called the schema posse mm-hmm, right um and but it was like it really in 2015 where things kind of started to break out for him where he like he bought a mic and like an audio interface and began recording and engineering his own music by himself and so he released this project called Little P Part 1 uh that came out at the end of 2015 and on that on that album there's a song called Star Shopping which is a really really beautiful song and um I think this is the first thing that kind of started to get him some buzz on the like on the internet, like underground circles. Um, Star shopping is really interesting because it's it's it has the components, the elements of what's really interesting about Peep's later music, but it also sounds very different. It's like a really spare production. There's not it's it's more it's like and it's definitely more in line with just like almost like straight up emo, like classic emo. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. And there's a really interesting like on YouTube. There's this like one hour. There's a one hour loop of this song. And last year when Peep died, I listened to this this song on a loop for so like like for a day straight, basically. And it's like 
it's just extremely melancholy, but also in a, like, I think like a lot of his music, what's really interesting about it is that it, it's melancholy in a way that also makes you feel both alone and less alone somehow. <laughs> like, I, right. it, um, so let's listen to a little bit of Star Shopping, actually. Losing your patience and girl, I don't blame you. The earth's in rotation, you wait for me. Look at my face when I fuck on your waist, because we only have one conversation a week. That's why your friends always hating on me. Fuck them, no, I did this all by myself. Matter of fact, I ain't never asked no one for help, and that's why I don't pick up my phone when it rings. None of my exes is over the kind of interesting too because i feel like the time around that little peep part one came out was also around the time that at least for me i started hearing about this new kind of music called soundcloud rap which you know depending on who you talk to um maybe it's just the people that i talk to about rap i feel like sometimes soundcloud rap is used in a pejorative way more often than not uh-huh. you know uh-huh. um a, a lot of kind of people who consider themselves to be old school hip-hop heads are less into this genre, but there's no denying that it's become, you know, one of the more powerful trends in hip hop over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, when you think about the idea of SoundCloud rap, I think it's a lot about, you know, the the platform that it's delivered on songs on SoundCloud, but I really feel like it's evolved into more of an aesthetic. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, well, the thing is, it's like, I mean, as you mentioned, it's, they call it SoundCloud rap and like, that's not a specific sound, right? but there is a sound that a lot of the people on that, that have become popular through, at least in, in hip hop in the last little bit through SoundCloud use. And a lot of that was this kind of like more raw aesthetic in totally. the sense that it was like a lot of the songs weren't mixed or mastered. <laughs> yeah, uh, like you said, Lil Peep bought a microphone for $100. For better or for worse, it sounds like it. he bought a mic for $100. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, there are certain sort of aesthetic trends that I feel like are really sort of connected to this style. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting to me about Lil Peep though as you mentioned he was based out of Long Island started making music in Los Angeles whereas I feel like the majority of people that were breaking in the SoundCloud rap genre at that time were coming out of Florida yes absolutely it's like you have um you have Smoke Perp yeah um XSS Detention Lil Pump Lil Pump uh Kodak Black although he's less of a SoundCloud guy and more of a he was he was not necessarily a part of that crew but but still kind of the same the same and I feel, camp. Totally. And I feel like if you were talking to some of those people coming out of the Miami scene or the Florida scene, it was kind of, you know, while not totally in a lineage of other Miami artists like Space Ghost Perp or mm-hmm. uh, Denzel Curry or something like that, there was sort of that tradition and you could see that it was it was sort of an evolution out of that sound. Whereas I don't I don't get the sense that that was what Lil Peep was kind of drawing on. Do you? No, I don't think so. I think that what he was doing is is essentially melding the the his influence of his his taste for hip hop with the kind of emo music that he grew up on. Right. So you're like taking back Sunday and My Chemical Romance. My Chemical Romance. Brand new. Of, brand right. new, exactly. And yeah. he, he sampled like early on in his career sampled some of sampled music from uh, the, a lot of those bands. And so a big part of a big part of Peep's sound and kind of figuring out this this lane for himself, what ended up becoming kind of like the emo trap lane, as yeah. some refer to it, <laughs> is his producer Smoke a Sack, you know, who 
early on in his career was started sampling intros from from emo songs and yeah. i think that's like kind of like how they they connected and they they were really like yin yin, yin and yang they're really they're they just like really were a good collaborative duo and i mean all this aside like i think i first heard of little peep uh i believe in 2016 2016 or 2017 i made a post about it in boosie fade because uh boosie fade the group because at first when i saw it i saw a song called white wine yeah that was the first song i heard from okay cool yeah for with with uh, little tracy who um was a also a frequent collaborator and sometimes at frenemy yeah yeah. had a really topsy-turvy relationship but little tracy fun fact is the is the son of ishmael butler from shabazz palaces oh really yeah Wow. From um, uh, Diggable Planets? Yes, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yes. I saw he was from Virginia Beach, so, yeah. but I didn't know anything else about him. That's, that's him. And White Wine, I mean, the song really, it really blew me away when I saw it because I, I, at the time, had not really seen, it was my introduction to emo rap, basically, in this, in this form. And yeah, it's just like... It's right away. It's like the sing song hook is like a complete airworm. It's like the the melodies, the melodies on that song are just so incredibly catchy and so memorable that like I basically as soon as I heard, it, I just played the song on repeat. Basically, I and I just couldn't get some of the lines out of my out of my mind. And little Tracy has a really good verse on it too. He says some really he he has a line where he's like, "I've been living life my way." I can't fuck with you if we weren't friends on MySpace. <laughs> and it's such a funny line. It's amazing. But it's like, it seems like he's dead ass serious. Yeah, for sure. But it, it also, for me, manages to not be corny because of the sincerity of the way that it's said, you know? Totally. And I think that's like, the, that was like what was really in- compelling about the music for me is that some of it, it I think it's, some, it's dealing with really dark issues like anxiety, depression, loneliness, like you know, revenge, feeling like, like inferior, uh, try, like all these really like heavy concepts. And in some ways, I think some people could look at it and maybe even dismiss it as like juvenile or like, you know, celebrates drugs too much. Like yeah. all, there's like so many like negative ways to, to look at it, but I just found it to be like a real, like guttural, like personal, personal kind of music, you know, that's really cool. And I'm glad you felt that way. I had a really, different reaction to the song when it first came out which is just kind of evolved over time i actually really like it now um the thing that i that that kind of first uh struck me and no one will be surprised to hear this as i am a 31 year old white dude but i uh, immediately recognized the sample for the song which was um the the song something by the microphones who are if you're not too you know, knowledgeable on the canon of Pacific Northwest sort of super indie rock. The microphones are the project of this guy, Phil Elverham, who um, now performs under the name Mount Erie. And he was actually in the the news a lot lately because he just got mich- uh, married to Michelle Williams. That's um, right. That's right. <laughs> but he put out this this album in, I believe, 2000 or 2001 called The Glow Part 2. And it is kind of seen as a hallmark of sort of the lo-fi bedroom recorded album. It came out on this um, record label, this legendary Olympia Washington label called K Records. And they put out all the early Modest Mouse records. Uh, They put out the Beat Happening records. And, uh, you know, immediately sites that were covering this song or uh, covering uh, the Little Peep song 
uh, like Pitchfork and the Fader and things like that, reached out to Phil Elverum for comment. And I think now he's really had a change of heart. But at the time, he was just like, what is this music that my song has been turned into? <laughs> and, it, and it was really kind of funny to see, but I, I, I definitely aligned myself with that sort of taste. And But now thinking back on it, it is kind of interesting because this sort of emo rap scene or emo trap scene or especially like hearing about Lil Peep making these songs with a hundred dollar microphone on GarageBand like I think that it really was tied to a similar sort of DIY ethic that K Records was really promoting in the nine in the late 80s 90s and into the early 2000s so it was kind of cool to see that connection there yeah it's really really smart uh take right there <laughs> uh let's actually listen to a little bit of white wine I I'm a big fan of the song Yeah, and then the next song that I heard from Peep was, I think, re- released around the same time, another Little Tracy collaboration called from the same project that they did together. Um, it's called Witchblades. Mm-hmm. And like once again, like the things that I really like about Peep on this like have completely to do with how much he's like leaning on the 2000s emo like trappings, which is like, you know, I, I, I was a big, I, I kind of, I was like living in Houston when I was like 14, 15, like in high school, feeling very alienated from my surroundings, having yeah. moved from Toronto to Houston where everyone's like, you talk funny, you know? Yeah. And like feeling all, all that. And I just like feeling a lot of angst. And I, f- I found that like emo music really helped me deal with that. Like it was like, f- like allowing myself to, to transport to these, like these fic, these narratives in somebody else's life that are really aggrieved yeah. help me deal with my own <laughs> aggrievedness and like aggrieved nature of dealing with like being at this like big ass high school where I didn't really know anyone and I had to start over. Yeah. And so like peep does, does a, on this song does a lot of this stuff that like I really enjoyed from that, which is like kind of like the, the, the gang, like my friend Jeff Hayward, uh, referred to as like the gang cha- the gang vocal chant. <laughs> right, and it's just right. the, I think it's just the way that the like his vocals are layered on the song. It's it's like a chant, and it like there's like a slight echo to it, and it sounds like there's like a, t- a a squad of people. It sounds like there's four people saying the lines, basically. Yeah, definitely. It definitely became part of his aesthetic too, and it lasted for a long time. Like I was reading the um, the John Caramonica piece uh, in the New York Times when when the new record came out, and he said that. We'll get to the new record shortly, but he said for a long time, Little Peep had this really defined aesthetic that he'd built out for himself in GarageBand using the exact same settings, the exact same sort of uh, mixes for his vocal tracks over time. And it, and it did create a sound that was really unique and distinct um, and that he kind of kind of carried across a lot of different mixtapes and albums. Yeah. And so th- through the, the strength of his these songs, a lot of the songs with Tracy, he starts getting a lot of attention. Um, and quickly be kind of becomes the face of this, what burgeoning subgenre of hip hop, which people call emo rap or emo mm-hmm. trap. And so peep is the face of this. And he's definitely, I would say the center of the genre. He's like, he, uh, he's the person who really is, uh, kind of like really advancing the aesthetic 
But you also have other rappers who are using this aesthetic as well, who also become like proponents of it. So you have like Trippy Red, yeah. um, who has songs like Love Scars that like really write in this lane. And if you listen to Trippy, Trippy's uh, second most recent project, he it's all it's all over it. Like a song like Taking a Walk and like stuff like that. Definitely. And then you have. You have people like Exorcist Tentacion, who's also doing this. In at the same time, then you have Little Uzi Vert with mm-hmm. Exo Tour Life, which is like that is like that's it right there. Basically. One of the biggest songs of last year. That's right. That's right. And like the song that really broke broke Uzi out as a superstar, which is using it's like firmly in the lane of emo rap. So yeah. basically, it's it's Peep is on this upward trajectory where he he's it's it seemed like he was on the path to superstardom. Like that's how I felt about it. I was like. I personally was thinking that I th- I thought the music was so good that there was no the, the music was so good and he's also he was also so marketable in a way like first of all I've you've heard me say this many times on this podcast but like if you are a white rapper chances are you're going to be pretty successful <laughs> like right. i mean it, once you pass a it's certain a low, it's a low bar up to a, this part <laughs> that's right once you pass a certain threshold of like of attention it's really it's 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 like you know, it's like being it's like being born on third base. You know, like once you, once you've made it to, you start getting some attention from like like the the music media, mm-hmm. and you have a bit of a fan base. You're basically golden as a white rapper. Yeah. And Peep Peep had a really unique look. He was like he and even later in his life was like doing some modeling and, and like kind of became a bit yeah. of a fashion plate because he's like slender, tatted up. Um, yeah, just, he's like, a really striking. I, I I honestly think that for someone like me, that was what drew me so much to him at the beginning. He's he cut a incredibly kind of striking profile in pictures, and um, and he was a very attractive looking person. Yeah, he has a he has a, like an unforgettable face, mm-hmm. and it really and also just even his gaze is like the way that he looks like in a lot of the photos, the way that he has a soul penetrating gaze. Totally, <laughs> that's, that's very fair. So in 2016, he releases two mixtapes. He has one called Crybaby and one called Hellboy. And they're kind of pushing in this similar tradition, um, you know, quite really dark music, pretty sludgy sounding. Um, I, I do feel like this was the point where his influences started to get a lot more eclectic. You know, we we spoke before how he was really indebted to this early kind of second wave emo sound, like brand new. But he was also pulling from people like Apex Twin and Boards of Canada and Three Days Grace. Like he had a really weird but uh, really cool sort of uh, palette that he that he was pulling from and the producers that he was working with. And then at the end of the summer last year, he released his first uh, – or he released a new project called Come Over When You're Sober. What, was it part, part one? one? Yeah, yeah part okay. One. Um, and this this project has honestly – a bunch of bangers on it. Yeah. Like these are little peep bangers. Um, so you got the Ben's truck remix, which is like uh, really great. Just like, if you want to talk about examples of what this, what this synthesis he was that what he was synthesizing, yeah. it's really all in the Ben's truck song in a way. Like it's like, even the title Ben's truck is like, you. that sounds like something that like, could be a two chain song. Yeah. Um, 
and then you also have like just I'm looking at the the track list and it's like these are these are huge huge peep songs save that shit is one of his favorite is one of his most popular songs yeah awful things which is like a late like a i think believe his last collaboration with little tracy yeah i think so too uh honestly when uh when peep died i like i wrote an obituary a little obituary for now magazine about it and i was just listening to awful things a whole lot and honestly it was so so sad yeah um because it's a real i think i think it's a really great song and definitely one of my favorites from this project uh let's listen to a little bit of awful things with little tracy Uh, so the album comes out in late August, I believe, of that year, and um, soon thereafter, Peep goes on tour. And uh, one year ago, actually, of the day that we're recording this pod, so November 15th, 2017, he's on tour in Tucson, Arizona. And shortly before his show, uh, he was found uh, dead in his tour bus of an apparent overdose, uh, which was later, according to the coroner's report, uh, an accidental overdose of Xanax, which was a drug that he had spoken about frequently mm-hmm. and something that he had kind of shared his struggles with in the past. Mm-hmm. Xanax and fentanyl. Right. Um, so, and this, his passing came at the time where a lot of rappers, and it's, we're still kind of in this in this phase where a lot, like a lot of rappers have shown and discussed their proclivities, their like love of prescription drugs, yeah. which is kind of a relatively new concept to, to rap. I mean, at this point, it's like it's been around for a while, but like it, it's pretty dominant in the music. If you think about it, it's like from a lot of A-list rappers are talking a lot about like, Zannies and like all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a rapper named Little Zan. Yeah. Know? So it's like, it's, and I think that a lot of people, this Peep's death gave a lot of people pause. And the outpouring about him, I mean, I guess as happens when almost any rapper dies, especially one with a big fan base now, is a lot of other mainstream A list rappers uh, come out and express condolences, but also talk about like how they, much they enjoy this person. And I remember like distinctly like little, little, uh, little Uzi Vert had a post where he was just like, Oh, I'm not doing any drugs today. Only smoking weed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I think it, it's like a lot of, and then, and then later in the day, he also tweeted, he's like, wow, it's really hard not to do drugs, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like, it makes you think, I think that like the industry, there, there's, there is, there is a drug abuse problem in the music industry Absolutely. especially in hip-hop i think it's probably maybe always existed but in different forms they're probably doing different drugs but i think just as there's the huge opioid crisis in the u.s there it's it's happening with rappers as well uh, absolutely and especially you know uh less than a year later uh mac miller would pass away um That's you right. know as a result of a similar addiction and uh i think more more so than ever it's being discussed uh you know both in the music and and in the media 
So as soon as let's talk about how come over when you're sober part two happened. Mm -hmm. So one thing that uh, kind of became very, very clear about Lil Peep, I'm sure those who were close to him knew it during his life, but it came uh, became apparent to everybody else after his death was how incredibly prolific he was. He was consistently making music on his laptop, Um, you know, about uh, about a year before he had passed away, he had actually moved from Los Angeles to London. And uh, during that time, he had gone through this incredibly fertile sort of recording period, a lot of it with uh, I Love McConan. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's a who, huge influence on him. Who was a huge influence on him and, and uh, by all accounts became a really, really dear friend of his in the last couple of years of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were making music together. He was making music by himself and it was all basically on this one laptop. Um, and so at a certain point, his label got a hold of the laptop and they decided that the best way to kind of continue on and release new music was to hand over uh, the laptop to Smokasack, his producer that he had worked, uh, you know, on Come Over When You're Sober Part 1 with and had collaborated with a lot during his career. And he kind of set out to taking these raw files that had existed and crafting something new out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that new thing is come over when you're sober part two. And, um, I am a huge fan of this, yeah, al- of this so album. I. I, I really, I really think it might be his best work. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting record right from the beginning. Um, I kind of touched on this before, but during the majority of his career, Peep had this really interesting style that he would record in where he would basically record all of his vocals and all of his backup tracks um, and, and all of his ad libs. And then rather than handing over like a garage band file or the individual stem tracks to his producers, he would mix them the way that he wanted to, which was like that really signature sound that we talked about. And then he would just bounce them all to one track and then it was up to the producer to basically make them fit with a beat and that was it but he did that i'm guessing intentionally so they couldn't kind of mess with his vocals at all Mm -hmm. it it had it stayed this one sort of way this was the first project where uh he had where the kind of raw vocal tracks were handed over with no effects uh nothing put behind them so it really was up to smoke to kind of take these vocal tracks and craft something and i think that he's done an amazing job at kind of distilling the sound that and the themes that made Lil Peep so powerful before, but just taking the production to a whole other level because he has that greater level of independence and creative control. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the come over when you're sober, I believe is the first project that they actually made in a studio. The rest were recorded yeah. kind of like bedroom style, really lo-fi. And, and I think I heard that, that uh, Pete never even went to the studio, that he would work in the studio, but then he would go over to his house to record the vocals for it. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I don't know. I think that on this, al- that, uh, this album has some of his, uh, just really, really, really strong songwriting on, in some moments. So he's like some really like brilliant lines, uh, some like kind of the, the kind of really the kind of cutting soul penetrating music that he was known for like Mm -hmm. on the song um sex with my ex yeah features which i think was kind of an older song that they kind of beefed up for this album interesting uh features like uh, like in the chorus like one of the craziest lines of this year Uh, i'm not gonna say what it is let's just listen to a bit of it and let's see if you can pick it out
And, you know, we talked about how the production from this this record, I think, is is, is really at another level. Um, in terms of the themes, I would say that, you know, listening to a posthumous record is always a bit of a weird experience, I would say. Agreed. Um, listening to one that is so deeply obsessed with themes of darkness, of drug abuse, of suicidal ideations is is you know it's a, it's it's a real experience listening to this record it, both and and it, i i would say that it, it that it's challenging even though the aesthetics of it kind of make it the most pleasing record of his to listen to in my opinion absolutely and it's i mean there is also there is an element of you know i mean he he talked about death a lot in his music when he was alive mm-hmm. you know oh, absolutely. and i i think that the idea and there's just there's a lot of He's he's kind of always had lines about like after I'm dead, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that a lot a lot of rappers do that. And I, I hesitate to there's a quote from Smoke a Sack where he was basically like, it's almost as as if he knew that people would be listening to this album after he died. And I I hesitate to go that far. Mm-hmm. I think that it's like it is a it's it's an aesthetic trope that people use in music. You know, I, I don't think it necessarily means that they, <laughs> I think a lot of artists, like all, all kinds of artists, uh, novelists, you know, painters, <laughs> like whoever pe- people are, are obs- like art is obsessed with death. And, and I, I think peep, uh, per- perhaps more so obviously he was suffered from depression and probably like, ha- like battled anxiety and suicidal thoughts for, for a long time in his, in his life. But the the through line of death through this album is can sometimes be jarring, especially when you think about the fact that it's like people put this album together and put it out. It's a you know, it's like yeah. after he died. So they know that there's this like huge part about like death on it, you know? No, totally. And it is interesting because, you know, I, as we said before, um, and this this almost makes it sadder in a lot of ways, is a lot of people who were close to him had talked about how maybe at least in terms of his mental health, he, he seemed to have turned a corner since his move to London and that he was in a much more positive place, uh, that he was making more positive music. Like we'll talk about this in a bit, but there's like um, probably, I, I assume, going to be uh, uh, an album or some sort of project that comes out, which is these tracks that he recorded with McConan. Which and are, yeah, a lot pop, a lot, a lot happier sounding, a lot sunnier. A lot happier. And, and uh, you know, one of the big kind of debated points of this record is that one of those songs – um, it is released as a bonus track for this album in mm-hmm. two different iterations. One is the original version. Uh, it's a song called "Follow Me," or no, sorry, no. "Falling so, Down." Right. Well, the the actual original version is "Sunlight on Your Skin." He originally uh, recorded yeah. this song with Mac- with I Love McConan, but um, after his death, his label and his label basically took that song and put. Access Tentencion, another recently deceased rapper on it. Yeah. You know, the move is has caused controversy for a couple of reasons. One, because, you know, it's an album of no features, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they stuck this bonus track on, um, not, you know, with an artist who Peep had never met, I never, don't think. Never and never met, actually. And, and seemed to express, allegedly to express, it said that he wasn't really into this, into Access Tentencion because of his, his, obvious domestic abuse yeah, history mistreatment of women yes yeah. and so the idea of of his label post like after his death putting him on a song with an artist that 
he probably didn't really seem to fuck with when he was alive. It just seems like a real craven, a craven cash grab and a way of like playing off of the the loyalties of fans who are obsessed with artists that are no longer here and kind of combining two massive burgeoning very youth-led fan bases and kind of reaping the benefits of it um yeah it, there's a kind of a bittersweet story i think um the new yorker wrote a piece about going to the listening party for this album and peep's mom actually giving the address before the album came out and she said Sorry, I have the quote here. It just said, study the artist, his words, his work, listen to him. Don't chop it up and put features on it unless it's somehow clear to you that it was okay with him. Mm-hmm. So she, I mean, she's also said that it's like, it's out of her hands because apparently what what happened is Existence mom also called her mm, and kind right. of that and kind of gave her and just maybe expressed that she really wanted the song to come out. And I think that that may have like at the time, like, uh, like allowed peeps mom to feel a little better about the situation. And obviously the president of uh, Columbia records is thrilled to put the song out and it's a massive, massive, massive hit. Um, <laughs> it is. Unsurprisingly, it, I think it has like, I think on Spotify it has like, let's see how many streams it has. It has 170 million streams. Yeah. And, you know, beyond the kind of controversy of how this song was put together, this song is, uh, you know, a real departure, I would say, mm-hmm. from from his work. This is the the brightest, the most pop song I think that he had ever done. It's kind of the most sort of hit ready. Falling, so, falling down? Yeah, yeah, I would say so in the traditional sense, which is kind of strange, especially when, you know, it's probably one of the last songs that we might hear from his canon. You know, it's like... I don't know. It's it's weird because you're like, was this the direction that he was heading in or that he wanted to head in? Mm-hmm. Or was this kind of a one-off? It would be like if like the le- if it was like the last song that Kanye West had ever done was Love Lockdown. <laughs> you know, we would have been like, was that how it was going to go forever? Yeah. Or was that just him being weird for, uh-huh, one, for uh-huh. one song, you know? Well, you know, I think the interesting thing about Peep, and I said this in the little obituary I wrote about him, is that one of the interesting things for me about his career is that he was just starting, like he'd been featured recently in a, like I remember like word come out that he'd, he'd worked with Juicy J on a track. And, yeah. and I was like, okay, that's an interesting thing. Like Peep is also at some point going to hit the rap mainstream and start yeah. working with like mainstream rappers. And the idea of him working with mainstream rappers and mainstream producers was really exciting to me. Cause it's like, he's already created this really incredible sonic template, like of which they're, are not really a lot of other examples of people that are able to do it, what he did so well. And the idea of him working with more kind of conventional producers, yeah. I'm like, what would his sound sound like? Like, how would he flow? Like, would he like, would he keep the same aesthetics from it, from the stuff that he's been creating or would he explore new lanes? And I think that's like, that was what was really exciting for me about it. And I think that they've, they mentioned that like in this stuff is, some of this stuff's probably going to come out, but he's like, was working with like Diplo and yeah. Harry Fraud. So like like we got really, kind of a taste of it too with uh, the song he did with Clams Casino, right, the four right. four gold chains. Which yes, it's right. probably my favorite song that he's been a part of up to this point. Like I just love, uh, that, love he, that track. Yeah, yeah, it's a really great song. Let's listen to a little bit of it. She's trying to find a word. trying to find this girl, but it's so dark, and I was under lights. Friends, I don't feel right. Four gold chains get two to my brothers. 
Once again, just I just want to talk about like some of some of the other songs on this album. I I really really if really love and um, sometimes have a hard time listening to the song "Life Is Beautiful," mm. especially yeah. in the context of of his of his passing. Um, but the song is just really 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 sharp and yeah. just I don't know. I feel, it really it really it really gets you right in the feels, and I feel like. I'm not the kind of person that um, can get. I, I'm not really. I'm not really the kind of person that can be brought to tears by songs. Yeah. Just listening to them in my headphones, like right. you know, when I went to the Daniel Caesar concert, I I, I think I almost shed a tear. Um, <laughs> but it's it's not really a feeling. But I was listening to Life Is Beautiful a lot last week, and there were just a few moments where I was just like, oh, I just feel like sobbing, getting choked up. Yeah. Um, so let's listen to a little bit of Life Is Beautiful. I don't let it hurt sometimes, but it's beautiful Working every day, now you're bleeding through your cuticles Passing through a portal as you're sitting in your cubicle Isn't life beautiful? I think that life is beautiful Trying to keep you cool at your grandfather's funeral Finding out eventually the feeling wasn't mutual You were not invited cause you're nothing like the usual Isn't life beautiful? I think that life is beautiful you Yeah, I... I mean, ultimately, I think this is a really, really great project, and I think that it's really unfortunate that he's not here to to enjoy the spoils of this success because this, like, listening to his album, this it's and it's like you know, I, I was reading uh, a pitch, the Pitchfork review for this album, and yeah. the the writer Jason Green mentioned that this album doesn't really have the breakout single that. Uh, the kind of like the big anthemic like singles that he, like his previous one did, yeah, although right. like falling down and like sunlight in your skin basically kind of are that. But I think this album works really well as a, as a whole package. Like if you listen to the listening, like you really kind of like enter peeps world on it and it is a really strong package together. You know, there's a lot of great songs on here. I think like uh lean in 16, 16 lines. I like, yeah, uh, you know, I I don't. I love it. the first two songs, "Broken Smile" and "Run Away." I think are both really strong and and really like set the set the bar really high off the bat, saying this is going to sound different. This is going to be you know a really um, sorry. S- slickly produced. It is, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing that jumps out to you, but it hooked me right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So that's it. I think that if you, I I know there's probably some of you listening are big Peep fans. Some of you that maybe don't know a lot about him i think is like it's really worth at least giving us like checking it out and just sampling Absolutely. sampling some of some of what he was doing because he i think was really at the forefront of a new genre or like a re a reimagined genre of, of rap and i think it was going places and i think he he was going places and there's going to be a few more projects that are that are going to be released from the recordings he's made and i'm really excited to hear them uh, this album is mercifully uh, only 13 songs. When do you get that anymore? So <laughs> yeah. uh, worth 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 a stream, especially if you wanna if you wanna you know get into your feelings. Um, okay, and that's this week's episode. But as you know from if you've listened to previous episodes of Catch Up, at the end of each episode, I James and I usually talk about one other thing from the world of hip hop that we're that has caught our eye or we're really paying a lot of attention to. And for me this week, it is something about 
one of the one of the one of our favorites here on Catch Up, Tierra Whack. Mm. She is on the cover of the Fader uh, in a really brilliant article profile written by my friend Ravia Kamer, um, and it's it is just a really Tierra Whack is just one of the most interesting figures to come out of music. I think in the last in the last uh, definitely of this year, so the one of the one of the big stories of this year, in Absolutely. my opinion. And I think that her potential is it's unmatched. I think she could be like, she's probably, she might be a little too left of center to really achieve superstar status. If she, if if that's the way she wants to stay in that lane. Mm -hmm. But I think that because of her versatility, she is going to want to dabble elsewhere. And I'm really excited just to think about like the possibilities of where her career can go. And I feel like this profile really gets kind of like, gets pretty close in like in an understanding kind of her vision. So uh, it's linked in the show notes. And if you are listening to this on Spotify and cannot li- click on the show notes, I think you should just go to your, your Google device, uh, <laughs> go to your, the, go to Google, search the fader Tierra whack and click on that cover story. Nice. Great recommendation. Um, for me, I was planning to come in today and talk about, the new book, uh, the Beastie Boys book, which I picked up last weekend and I've been really enjoying, but I haven't finished it yet and I feel it's a little irresponsible to start making that a recommendation before I've read the whole thing. But uh, so far, so good. It did kind of lead me down this rabbit hole, though, where I was watching a lot of videos about the Beastie Boys on YouTube and one uh, video that it led me to, which was something that I hadn't seen in a really long time, was... Uh, a bunch of YouTube videos taken from the seminal hip hop concert film Fade to Black, which was the uh, if if you, those out there haven't seen it, Fade to Black is a documentary that Jay Z made about the end of his career, the quote unquote oh end God. of his career yes. in I think it was 2004, uh, and it's kind of half of a concert film that uh, documents his last show at uh, Madison Square Garden, Mm -hmm. um, which has kind of, you know, lost a little bit of resonance because I think he's probably performed about 500 times since that (laughs) concert. Um, 500 times this year. (laughs) Right. Uh, But the part of it that really sticks out to me and which is so consumable and fun on YouTube are the behind the scenes uh, videos that they recorded during the making of the Black Album. And one of them, uh, kind of the way that I got into this rabbit hole, is during the recording of 99 Problems, he recorded it with Rick Rubin and Mike D from the Beastie Boys is actually in the studio. Hmm. So that video is really fun on its own. Um, but the kind of crown jewel of the entire thing that I would suggest, if you haven't seen it, go see it right now because it's just one of the best hip-hop videos I've ever seen, is um, him bringing Kanye into the studio. So this is pre-college dropout. This is He's still kind of super producer Kanye or up-and-coming producer Kanye. And Kanye plays him three beats. The first beat I, I don't think was ever used for anything, but I was just kind of like, how has this not been used for anything? It is the most incredibly banging beat of that era of Kanye. It's incredible. If anybody knows what that is, please send it to me on uh, on Twitter. Um, the second one that he plays for him is the beat that ends up being Last Call uh, at the end of College Dropout. And then the third beat that he plays for, for Jay-Z in the studio is the beat that becomes Lucifer. And the look of Jay-Z sitting in a chair listening to him as he rolls these three beats out, I've never seen a look like this on somebody's face. It's like half 
total elation. Like, I can't believe I get to rap over this. And Hap just, he's just stupefied that how somebody made a beat like this. Like, <laughs> in, this me- in this heavy meme generation, I can't believe someone hasn't taken, like, a still of this and made it into a great meme because it is one of the best faces I've ever seen. So... That's my recommendation for this week. If you somehow haven't gone back and explored the best of Fade to Black, it's all on YouTube. It's uh, an amazing way to spend a half hour just watching some of these videos. That's brilliant. Um, so that's this week's episode. Once again, we appreciate all the support, all the all the tagging of us on Instagram and letting your friends know and sharing the Spotify link. So please continue to do that. Please tell people in real life about the podcast. Mention the Catch Up podcast. Uh it's it's we really appreciate your help and support in helping us grow and it's at this point we've been doing this podcast for about six seven months i think and yeah. we we have we're like over six thousand listeners people from all over the world um yeah and it's just really exciting but we, we really rely on you guys to help spread the word so please continue to do so uh thank you for joining us thank you kyle for filling in for james oh my pleasure you were fantastic as (laughs) always um and we will talk to you guys next week so stay safe see ya